The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am pleased to bring onto the program today uh, one of the the best way I can describe it is probably one of the rising voices in women's hockey, just women's media coverage in general. Uh, her name is Haley Salvian. She writes for the Athletic, but I'm going to let Haley kind of give a you know a background of her stuff. So first off, Haley, thank you for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So Haley, you got your start. Um, you've been I, just looking at your LinkedIn and your profile. You've got quite a few things you've been uh, working on the past few years after graduating from Ryerson. Um, but currently, you're with the Athletic. But just wanted to get your uh, your background and how you kind of got into sports media and what led you to where you are now. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I could do my Spark Notes version because I've tend to ramble about this because it's it's been a bit of a long journey just because I, I've kind of always known that this is what I wanted to do. So from a very young age, I think I was in grade nine or 10 in high school when I, you know, really set out to say like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a sports reporter. Um, but it really started when I went to Ryerson in the journalism program and, um, you know, I was kind of taught to always be a mile wide and an inch deep and never kind of box yourself in on, on one kind of career. So, um, you know, I went into school wanting to be a uh, TV broadcaster in hockey, like hyper-specific, essentially being like, I want to be like Christine Simpson. That was my dream. Um, and I very quickly realized, like, well, there's, like, one job in that, and, and Christine Simpson has it, so I should maybe think of a few other options I can do. So I started working um, in doing classes in, in TV and radio and print and sports and news and investigative journalism. So I really tried to make myself as well-rounded as possible. And then that really ended up working out because my first you know, career opportunity in the industry was in my third year of university. I worked for the London Free Press for 
five months. Uh, that local newspaper out in London, Ontario, and uh, I worked general assignments again. So news, sports, arts, whatever they wanted me to do. And it was cool because I kind of got my first look into actual sport reporting because uh, the London Knights had just won the Memorial Cup that year. And that was when Mitch Marner and, and Dvorak and Kachuk were all there. So that was really cool. Um, and then I got an internship at CBC Toronto. So I started there as an associate producer, editorial assistant, and graduated university, stayed on at CBC Toronto in the news department, um, and just kind of kept working my way up. I went from rolling prompter, running scripts, to you know helping produce the shows, and then I started doing TV, or not TV, sorry, web and radio reporting in Toronto and Kitchener-Waterloo. And then I decided to move to Saskatchewan for TV reporting, so I was there this summer. Um, and interlaced with CBC, I did some freelance for NBA Canada. I was in arena hosting for the Oshawa Generals, which I still do. Um, and I was helping with the Puck Talks hosting and stuff. And, and then once I was out in Saskatchewan, I got offered a position at The Athletic and to kind of finally move into a full-time sports reporting job. And that's how I got here. That was long. I always end up staying that way too long. That's my spark. Message. That's actually not that's that bad. That's how I got no. here. <laughs> I wasn't rambling. You had a lot of good information in there. So, <laughs> um, Just going from like an early age, you said grade 9 or 10 that you were uh, set on what you want to do. I mean, just... Being in high school, I know a lot of kids, or being in high school a little while ago, a lot of kids really don't know what they want to do. Was that sort of an advantage, do you think, um, just having that and just going with it from uh, a young age? Yeah, for sure, because I, I just always, I had my sights set on that, and, and, you know, all of my friends from high school, they they talk to me and they all say, like, wow, like, this is literally all that you've ever wanted to do since we since I knew you when we were teenagers you've always said you want to be a sports reporter and and so it it really just came to fruition for me and and I mean everyone knows that it's what I wanted to do because I wouldn't shut up about it to all my friends in high school and uh you know I just always worked really hard at it um I took a co-op at a local newspaper when I was in grade 10 and started writing for them as a teenager and just everything I did, I, I made sure that it was calculated and it was something that was going to help me get to where I want to be. So I think, yes, it was an advantage that I knew what I wanted to do, but it was also that I was setting, you know, goals and I was setting that plan in action. You know, I didn't just say, Oh, I want to be like Christine Simpson. No, I sat down and I took a look at what it's going to take to get there. And I did all of that. And I think that's one of the things that some people don't really realize when they try to get into this industry is they don't actually know how much it takes to actually get here. So that was something that, you know, I tried to look at realistically from the get go and and just worked really hard to, to get it. Yeah, unfortunately, there's there's the uh, audience that believe that certain female reporters and media people get their jobs because of their gender, and they don't <laughs> realize. And I know you've heard this. Uh, I know I work with someone at Sportsnet, Christine uh, Rutherford, who who oh. the other day told me that she had a Rogers Cable guy come to her house, saw the package she had, he's like, "Oh, your husband must really like sports." Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and it's. <sighs> 
things like that, you know, it, it bothers me because I know there's a lot of talented female media people out there. And this is part of the reason why I wanted to have you on is because, you know, the the, the stereotype and just, just the general uh, thinking that people have about women that work in sports. I mean, I... I see it all the time. I always try to encourage people to, you know, give, you know, give women just a chance because, you know, there are a lot of talented ones. In our program that Austin and I went to at uh, Centennial, there weren't mm-hmm. many women that were in the program. And our program director has always made it a point to try to reach out to them. But uh, there's there are quite a few women who get discouraged, not only because of how hard it is to get into the industry, but because of, you know, how people kind of view women in the industry as well. Yeah, for sure. I think it can be discouraging because, um, you know, there is, it's just the commentary that women get, you know, with what Christina Rutherford had tweeted there. And, and Christina and I have worked kind of alongside each other at numerous things for the CWHL this season. And, and she actually came into my class when I was in university. And she's been one of my favorite writers for a long time, like hands down, just favorite hockey writer, not male, not female favorite writer for a long time. And it just kind of goes to show it doesn't matter how good you are. You know, people are still going to say, oh, well, like all this hockey stuff is your husband's, right? And and I, I remember, you know, my first day on the Marley's beat, because that's kind of my main focus with the athletic as well as women's hockey. And I was at training camp. It was my very first day, like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and and this gentleman is standing there watching his son who was invited to training camp. And he turns to me and says, Oh, which one's your boyfriend? And, and I kind of just had to look at him and say, I know you didn't mean anything by that, but I'm actually a journalist. I am not dating one of these players. I'm, I'm doing my job. And, and so it's just little things like that that can be discouraging because it's, you know, no no boy would ever get asked that if there was just a random man watching marley's practice or training camp no one's gonna ask him like which one are you dating on the on the ice or are you here like what are you here for no people are just gonna assume that they're either just a hockey fan that's watching or they're doing their job um so it's little things like that and um it certainly can be disappointing, but it's also kind of fuel to prove people wrong and just show them, no, like, you know, I don't know. I'm not the type of person that's going to get really fired up and really angry about that kind of thing. I'm just going to say like, okay, like that sucks. I'm still going to go and do my job and show people that I'm, I'm good at my job. That's always been my focus. I don't really want to, to rage and wax poetic about it. I just want to do my job and do my job well. That's part of the reason why I enjoy following on Twitter and just because I've seen and, you know, first off, Austin, I just had the most cringe reaction to what you just said. Like if you're here, it's kind of just to hear that makes my skin crawl because it's ridiculous for people to say those sort of things. But um, that's part of the reason why I appreciate, you know, following on Twitter because you're. And you and I have had interactions lately, and uh, we have a we have a mutual interaction with uh, Mike Stevens, who works <laughs> with you on the uh, Marlins. I'm bringing up Mike, he, whether he listens to this or not. He'll uh, he'll probably he's big time. Him. He won't listen to us. Um, but <laughs> I mean, you you've you've got this calm. Like I I, I don't fall venture too much as much on Twitter as probably I used to way back when. Part of the reason is because Twitter has just become a really tough place to navigate. 
but I like the way oh, yeah. you do it because you just, I can tell you're not putting your, you're, you're just trying to put the most logical thought into it and you're not trying to, you're not trying to pick fights. You're just, you're really trying to be more of the, uh, the calming factor, which you don't mm-hmm. often see too much. Um, but I, I found that you and I had that, that interaction with Mike, I think it was a couple weeks ago, uh, about the whole Mike Babcock situation. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, how, how do you, how hard is it sometimes for you to, you know, there are moments I guarantee where you probably wish you could act like a keyboard warrior, but you, and just listen to you, you probably want to, you probably dial yourself back a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think it's the nature of, of my job as well. Cause I mean, I, I don't want to get myself into trouble and lose uh, the job that I have because I want to, you know, go on Twitter and tell everyone that, you know, I think your opinions are dumb, uh, <laughs> whether they are or not. Cause I mean, my opinion is subjective as well. Um, I don't know. I just think Twitter has gone to this place where everyone's offended by everything and everyone's yelling at each other over stuff. That's just so completely unnecessary. And it's just social media is such a double-edged sword in this industry. You know, you need it for that quick information and you can use it to network and, and get people to talk to you for a story and tweet your story and grow your audience. But it's also this place where you can very quickly, um, you know, get obliterated online or something can get kind of made up and go viral. Um, I mean, look no further with what happened with the, with the video that was tweeted about Morgan Riley with the very definitive statement that he did this. Um, and, and that's just one of the, the things that happens when social media has so much power over all of us and so I just try to go on social and try to be like you said the voice of reason and it's it's nice that you said I sound like the calming presence because I think people who who know me pretty well would probably read some of my tweets and the very sarcastic and really rude sense of humor that I have so it's nice that you say I sound calm because most people probably think I sound really passive aggressive and rude unfortunately I have Austin uh with me that yeah there's moments where he has his passive aggressive moments easy on (laughs) in our conversation so I I I get the experience in that regard oh well you know sometimes I get anyway um that's all right yeah it's funny that you brought up Mike though because him and I are, are actually he's he sits with me in the press box at the Marley's and and he has his that. Twitter following, and yeah. and I don't know. And sometimes he tweets things, and I sent him that reply that one day, and then <laughs> I thought he was, he was kind of like mad, so we started like arguing on Twitter. And so I texted him like, "Why are you yelling at me on Twitter?" And it was actually this really, it was just weird. It was a because <laughs> I didn't agree with his opinion. Weird. But uh, then all of his Twitter followers. Uh, started tweeting at me defending him so i had to text and be like you know tell your tell your followers to leave the steven's like, army over there everyone's wow. yelling at me we're, we're definitely not singling out mike on this podcast no, no, let no, me no, just def- make that definitely yes, not i, I i've met this mikey steven this is yes mike and i used to do did a couple of podcast episodes way back when he was still in school well, actually technically he's still in school but this back is when not he- a mike steven slander episode <laughs> um <laughs> How is it, um, you were just talking about you guys sitting in the press box. Is it just sort of like you guys throwing gifts at each other on Twitter while like sitting a couple seats across from each other in the press box? 
Usually, actually, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times if, if there's like a funny Twitter thread that's coming out of a Marley's game, we're sitting next to each other but communicating via social media. Yeah. So very it's mature. Sort of like people in the same room texting each other even though they're sitting across. 100%. Sitting beside each other. Like sometimes he'll, he'll watch me tweet him. <laughs> and then look at his phone or his computer and look yeah. at the tweet and then respond while I watch him respond. It's very weird, actually, okay. now that you you bring it up on the air. Oh, well, it's, Dave and I do the <laughs> same thing. We'll just... Oh, no, Austin and I do the same yeah. thing all the time, too. So it's not a... Um, I remember one... We... I live for gifts and memes. I do, too. There we go. Um, <laughs> I don't want to go too far down the mic thing, but I do remember during the playoff series last year, we had... Mike was... I remember the video that came out. I think his girlfriend did it of him like freaking out during one of the goals. So every time he'd tweet out, I'd send him a thing about Matt Martin because he went off on a Matt Martin rant. So I just decided to tweet at him about Matt Martin and he really got rattled. Oh, yeah. So, oh, no. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. oh, well. He's it's, fun. That's all right. I like to bother him a little bit and he's a good sport. Yeah, he's a good sport yeah. about it. Um, but you, you did mention that you're, you know, you're covering the Marlies and that's your main beat. Um, what what about the Marlies? Um, you know, the Marlies have a, a pretty good following. I know there's a lot of uh, people who have blogs or that work for, like, you know, the Leafs Nation and other sites that cover the Marlies on a regular basis. What about the Marlies make it a fascinating beat for you? Uh, well, I think it's just because you're, you know, you're literally there with, with potential Toronto Maple Leafs for the future, right? Like, it's it's a development league and, and I'm working with NHL prospects and, and it's interesting because down with the Marlies, you know, you have a mix of these players who, you know, could get a call up any day or, you know, are, are never going to actually make the NHL. They're just on one way contracts and just trying to finish their, you know, hockey careers in North America. And then you have the, the young stars that everyone seems to care about and, you know, this being my first year on the Marley's beat, I, did, I didn't get the Travis Dermott's and the Kaplan's and the Janssen's and the Garrett Sparks and the Justin Halls of last year. But this year it's interesting because I get to to talk with and, and work with, you know, the Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren, the first-round draft picks that, you know, especially right now with all of the injuries on the Leafs are really hot topics. And, and you know, I get to watch them develop firsthand through this season, talk to them, talk to their coaches, uh, talk to their teammates. And there's just a lot of other interesting stories that you can get just once you're around a team long enough. This is my first year, so it takes a little bit of time to get acclimated and, and know everyone, know the right people, know the right stories that you should and can be doing. But it's really exciting. It's a really great beat to be on, especially for somebody new into, you know, a reporting role. And I think that's why we get so many young, upcoming writers and bloggers and such that are there. Because um, as, as much as it's, you know, it's developing players, it's developing journalists as well. Um, it's just really exciting, especially, you know, this season they're not, you know, on the same trajectory to win the Calder Cup as last year. But I think there are some really interesting storylines in, in Sandine and Lilligren and Jeremy Bracco has been fabulous. Um, you know, I think Chris Mueller has been a great story. He's been kind of the MVP of the, 
of the year for me at the Marlies level. And, um, and Sheldon Keith is just an amazing coach who I don't see being in the AHL for, for very long. So lots of exciting stuff covering the Marlies. Uh, you just talked about Sandin and Lilligren. Um, just being able to see them on a day in, day out. And obviously it hasn't been as much as many people would have thought because of the injuries, but um, mm-hmm. it's got to be great to see those two just developing. And uh, those are two guys that are going to be with the Leafs in the next couple of years. So what is it like to be able to see them practice and then just develop in front of you? Yeah, no, it's, it's really great. It's, it's, I think that the Marlies and, and the Leafs organization as a whole do a really great job of developing their prospects, um, which is one of the reasons and probably the key reason why they were both kept at the AHL or brought to the AHL instead of, you know, sent back to Sweden um, just because now the organization has full reign over their development. So, what they're doing in the gym, putting on weight, what they're doing at practice. And, and with those two specifically, you know, they're usually the last ones on the ice, you know, practice will finish. And then they're out with, with some skills coaches working on their skating, working on their shot, um, you know, just working on their speed and explosiveness. And, and it's really great to watch, you know, the two, uh, prospects that everyone wants to see putting in the work to get to the next level. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are really quick to try to call those, try to get those two up to the lease. You know, people have been asking Babcock now if we're going to see Sandine and, and people asking me all the time, when are they going to get called up? But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Rasmus just turned 19. Timothy's not 20 yet. They're very, very young. Um, you know, we're not in the position, not we, I, I'm not a part of the Maple Leafs organization. Um, you know, the Leafs organization isn't in the same position as they were, you know, five, however many years ago, you know, when you have a 19 year old Luke Shen playing in the NHL when he probably shouldn't have been. And, um, it's just, it's great to watch them develop and actually have the time and be given, you know, patience to to develop into NHL players. Kyle Dubas um, came out after Lilligren was injured and just said that he had a legitimate shot of getting a call up at the end of the year if the Leafs needed a body. Um, and a lot of people think that there's a real chance he could make the team next year. But with this high ankle sprain, I mean, is there a chance that he starts the year with the Marlies, do you think, next year? Um, I actually, you know, it was an odd one. I know when Kyle said that, but then, you know, the most recent comments that he's made is that the both of them aren't quite ready yet. So, and I know in speaking with uh, Corey Pronman, he's our prospects writer and, and speaking with some scouts, I think a lot of people in the, in the business from like a scouting perspective were really surprised um, at the idea that Timothy could get called up. Because um, I, I don't think he's ready yet. I don't think he'll make the Leafs out of training camp next year. I think there's a shot that he gets a call up next year. Like he could make his NHL debut next year, but I don't think he's going to make the Leafs on a full time basis next year because there's just no rush. Um, you know, Babcock was speaking really highly about what the organization did with Kasperi Kapanen. He played over 100 games at the AHL level before he 
you know, got a full-time job with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, mm-hmm. and at 20 years old and, and not nowhere near 100 games yet, I don't think Lilligren is, is ready for a full-time job up there. I don't think he'll start with the Leafs next year. I think he'll be with the Marlies. There's another prospect that's gaining a lot of attention. That's Jeremy Bracco. I mean, we've seen yeah. what he's done on the ice. But Austin and I have had a chance to talk to him when we were at the NHLPA Rookie Showcase. So this was just okay. as he was getting started with the Marlies. What's it like covering him and talking <laughs> with him? Because we know he can be a character he, off the yeah. ice. <laughs> <laughs> I personally, I have not had a one-on-one interview with Jeremy Bracco yet. Um, he, he's an interesting character, that, to say the least. Um, you know, I remember... He's twice now tried to, like, just be the third man in my interviews with his teammates um, for whatever for whatever reason. He did um, the same thing when we were at the uh, – I think he could probably shadow as a journalist if he really wanted to when his career is done. Yeah, I mean, he uh, – yeah, I was uh, interviewing Rich Clune, and, and he comes – he came out with Rich and was like, I'm going to – I'm just going to – just going to monitor, just here for moral support. And I was like, oh, um, Okay this is weird. And then after a few questions, he kind of just started laughing. He's like, nah, I can't, I can't do this. I'm going back inside. He's like, Rich, see you later for dinner. And, and him and Clune have a really great relationship and Clune has really taken him under his wing and, and helped him develop into, you know, a, a professional. Um, but he can, Bracco's pretty silly. Um, he, he's always the one chatting in, in the locker room. I've heard he's always the one talking on the ice. He's the one having a good time. And, and, you know, I don't have a problem with it. I think it's, you know, it's good to see someone with a personality at the rink. Um, he's not, you know, hurting or doing anything wrong by anyone, I'm sure. You know, he knows the moments when he needs to, you know, be quiet and let the veterans in the room talk. And he knows the moments when he's allowed to, to be silly and have some fun. And, and I think Brock was the kind of player when, when he's having a good time and he's, chatting and laughing it up and being a little silly, you know, he's confident. And when Bracco's playing confident, he plays extremely well. Um, he, he's a very, very great prospect in this organization. Um, he's leading the AHL in assists. He's tied for second right now in, in points in the AHL. And, and I'm pretty sure he's only 22 years old. This is only, you know, realistically, this is his first full season in the AHL because last year he, he was sitting up in the press box for most of the year. This is very much Jeremy Bracco's team this year, and and he's a very exciting prospect to watch as well. Right now, um, you know, the team went off, had a bit of a rough start because the goaltending was a bit of a mystery and, you know, injuries <laughs> and such. How much are you potentially looking forward to a playoff run for this Marley's team? I know you've covered them in the regular season, but we know that the playoffs can just be a whole different atmosphere, especially for somebody covering the team. Yeah, I mean, playoffs are going to be something different. They're still kind of in the fight, jostling for for the position in the Eastern Conference. I I think that they will make the playoffs for sure. Um, It's just a matter of if they're going to have that that home ice advantage. I think playoffs will be interesting. I think it'll be a really good test for this team. I think, you know, like you said, this is a team that struggled with goaltending. But, you know, with Michael Hutchinson coming in, He's been great in net, and he's also been a really good steadying veteran presence for Casimir Kaskasuo. Um, so, you know, him coming in has 
stabilize the goaltending. You know, it's nothing like it was last year. It's not Garrett Sparks and Calvin Pickard, but it's certainly better than it was at the start of the season when we had uh, when they had Jeff Glass. Jeff Glass in on the, I think you no, he was signed, so he wasn't on a PTO, sorry. Um, they had Jeff Glass and Cascasuo and, and Eamon McAdams come up, you know. McAdams is a great goalie prospect as well, but I don't think there's an organization who would ever want, you know, two rookies as their, you know, one two punch. So um their goaltending's doing well. Their players are you know, they, they need to get players healthy. You know, Lilligren and Sandin are healthy right now, but Callie Rosen, Andreas Borgman, Frank Corrado, um, they're all out. Martin Marinson's up with the Leafs, but now he's sick. Um, Colin Greening was injured recently, so they have a lot of injuries. So, But I think if this team can get healthy and, and you know, have everyone there for playoffs, it's going to be a pretty exciting run. I, I don't expect a back-to-back Calder Cup, but... I expect this team, if they actually have bodies and, and they play, it sounds cliche, but they play a full 60, I think they can make a, a pretty good playoff run. Uh, this is the time where you really start to see the PTOs and the ATOs signed for all the players. They've already announced uh, Yegor Korshkov's likely to come over. Uh, Emily Razanen has signed uh, Joseph Dusak, who I've managed to mess up his name more times than I'd like to mention. I wasn't even going to attempt that name, so good on you for no that. for writing. I've I've I don't know. I've messed up his oh. name too many times. Um, and there should be some from the CHL and possibly college when those wrap up. Is there a certain prospect um, or player that might be coming in that you're looking forward to seeing? Um, I mean, I'm not sure which ones might be coming in. You know, they're usually pretty tight lipped. I haven't personally heard that many of, of players from the CHL or our university that they might be bringing in, to be honest. Um, but I, I am excited to see Joseph Duzak coming in. Um, I'm not sure if I pronounced the last name correctly myself either. Um, right when it was announced that he signed, I, you know, went and I was at practice when it was announced yeah. and I went to the head coach Sheldon Keefe and, and went to ask him a question about it. And I just prefaced it with like, I'm sorry, I, haven't gotten a pronouncer yet so if I, <laughs> yeah. if I butcher this name please don't hate me um but I'm excited to see him play um he was certainly someone who impressed a lot in the NCAA um you know was I think he was third in overall scoring of any position and he had the most points by any defender in the NCAA and and you know my colleague Scott Wheeler did an excellent piece on him right after it was announced that he'd signed and just everyone who's ever worked with this player has had nothing but amazing things to say to him he's a very explosive um, offensive defenseman but he you know he's also you can trust him on your blue line you know he's not just there to to put up points and goals um you know I think that he's in a he's a really exciting prospect for me I'm excited to see him in game action now, before we get into our next topic, the last thing I kind of wanted to ask you about is, um, sorry, I kind of went on a, on a blank there. More but... Mike Stevens talk. <laughs> no, um, it's about this idea of size. And we've heard this constantly. It's kind of something, it's one of those Twitter topics that I've grown to be very frustrated seeing all the time being brought up. But as somebody who watches the, the Marley's team, you know, you've got a guy like Jeremy Bracco who's not exactly the biggest player in the world and you got you know a couple of guys who are on the smaller size 
Do you believe in this idea that size is something that an organization needs? And, you know, do you think the Leafs are maybe not putting an onus on that for a certain reason? Um, I don't, I think when you, do you mean like you're talking about size in the sense of like they have, they need, you know, bigger, gritty, truculence. kind of like Matt Martin. They need heavy players. hockey. Is that That's what you mean? That dumb term, heavy hockey that I always hear. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, I don't think that it, like a team needs, you know, a big guy to, to do well in games, I guess, you know, you know, I think. I look no further than, you know, Mike Babcock talking about this. When he wants the Leafs to play big um, and play, like, tough hockey, he doesn't mean go run and hit people and, and drop the gloves and fight. He means, you know, work hard and, and you know, win those tough battles, back check, four check, um, you know, play big in that sense. I think that's more important than size. Um, you know, Trevor Moore is an excellent example of a small player playing big. Um, his puck possession numbers are, you know, I don't know about this last stretch um, because the team hasn't been, they haven't looked great. But, you know, in that first stretch when Trevor Moore was on the team, you know, he's five foot nine, I think, and he was playing big hockey. You know, he was all over people, um, you know, hitting people bigger than him, taking the puck from people. He's really good at the little um, lifting the stick of guys. He's quick, and, yeah, his possession's great. And I think that's more important. I think, you know, if the guy's small, it doesn't really matter because if he can keep the puck on his stick and if he can get the puck back from the other team and get it back on his stick, then that's, that's a lot more important to me. And I think to the you know the systems that the Leafs and the Marlies are trying to play than just having a big body yeah now we'll bring up the next the last kind of the last part of our interview which is uh your kind of role in women's hockey so Mm -hmm. before we I ask I'm going to put in a quick plug here by the way I'm not being paid for this so uh if Mr. Kevin Kennedy is listening to this uh I will maybe potentially accept some athletic pilsner beer which I always hear about but on, <laughs> have you tried the beer? No, I'm celiac, so I can't. I'm waiting oh. for there to be a cider or something. Okay, okay, Kevin. <laughs> I don't drink either. I'm I just see myrtle. You know what? I'm just gonna. T- I'm just gonna tell Kevin like, what's he waiting for? For and Kevin, I'm sure he's probably already working on it. Um, but on March 21st, which is tomorrow, uh, Thursday <laughs> night, you are going to be hosting with Mark Masters a live puck talks panel on women's hockey. So you've got four CWHL players, uh, Renata Fast. Um, hopefully I'm saying this name correctly. Shea Tilly? Or Shea Tilly? Shea Tilly. Shea Tilly. I see I'm terrible with names sometimes. I did look up the YouTube video for that. Jamie Ratray and Laura Stacy. So I know that the Puck Talks have had women's hockey panels before. I think... This is one of the first times they're doing we, just a We went to the show. one that uh, Renata Fast and Laura Stacy were on. I believe that was last summer. And I was the one that asked the question, the question I want to ask you about, uh, which is the CWHL and NWHL, this whole idea of the merger and needing mm-hmm. to come together and putting together one league. I asked the players about it. They seem to agree that it's something that would help women's hockey. 
Um, I'm sure this is probably going to be a topic in tomorrow's show. Hopefully, I'm not giving anything, any big secrets away or anything. But how important is it for these two leagues to come together? It's really important. I think it's actually it's, it's crucial for the growth of the women's game. Um, you know, women's game is literally divided right now, and and that's not good. There's this, you know, there's a, dil- a diluted talent in these two leagues because you know I just there there's so many players playing across two leagues that you know day in and day out it's not best on best um, because you have some of the best playing at the CW and some of the best playing in the NW and you know you know you've seen that there's an interest in women's hockey because whenever you get Canada and the US together and you know playing in the Olympics or even just playing in the CWHL or not the CWHL, sorry, the, the rivalry series that just happened, you know, there was just under 10,000 people at each of the three games for a no stakes, no medal, you know, friend, quote unquote, friendly game against Canada and us. And that's because it's, it's best on best. That's the best players playing against the best players. And obviously there's some European players who are quite good as well, but you know, that's going to be the best hockey you're going to get is that matchup. And if you can get some of that best on best and that elite in the game on a day to day, you know, or weekend basis in a professional women's hockey league, I think the eyeballs are going to follow but, you know, I think the skill and the talent in these leagues right now is still very good. It's a very, very good product. But I just think people are going to be drawn to it even more if it is one league because, like I said, you're going to have the best players in one league playing against each other every single weekend. And I think that's something that people really want to see, you know, fans, um, players you know all of the stakeholders in the women's game want to see it it's just it's a really difficult thing to happen you know it's two leagues with two different business models you you know the cwhl is a not-for-profit the nwhl is a for-profit so you know the cwhl you know could just fold and you know they wouldn't have to pay anyone out but the nwhl is private investors that they would need to pay to fold so and, and you can't just merge two leagues with completely different business models. It, it's like trying to merge, I don't know, like a not-for-profit. I, I think you can play, that's a not-for-profit. It's like trying to merge you can play with like Pepsi or Coke, a, a for-profit company. It's, it's just not black and white. It, it's, it's not easy, but I think it's, it's crucial for the women's game. The uh, the NWHL commissioner Danny Ryland um, said that she believes a merger between these two is inevitable. Back in October, um, you listed some of the major issues with the merger. Um, are there any other major roadblocks, or what steps sort of need to be taken going forward to uh, get this done? Well, I think you just need to get all the stakeholders in the game in a room together and let them actually talk it out because I don't think that Jaina Hefford, the commissioner in the CW and Danny Ryland in the NW have really gotten a chance to sit down in an office and speak to each other about what needs to be done. Um, that being said, they're both trying to run hockey leagues, right? You know, it's not, once again, it, it's just not that simple. You know, you can't just leave 
your league and, and go and have, you know, meetings here and there and prep for this and prep for that. It's not like the NHL where Gary Bettman can go and do, you know, the board of governors meetings, the GM's meetings, and then the Seattle press conference, because Gary Bettman has like X, Y, Z people who are still going to be in the offices and you know, making sure the league runs smoothly. You have so much, so many staff members and employees at the NHL that the CW and the NW just don't have. I've been in the CWHL office and it's, I think there's like three, four people, you know, wearing multiple hats. So Jana can't just leave and, and go and try to hash things out with Danny for a couple of days. And, and Danny can't do the same um, thing. She can't just pick up and leave her league to come and try to talk about creating a new one um, in the middle of the season. So I think this off season is going to be really imperative. I think this off season, if you can get, you know, the NHL, the CW, the NW all in the same room and, you know, have, real conversations about what needs to happen and, and the stakes of why it needs to happen. You know, I think there are some players in both leagues who, who seem to think that come next year, puck drop, it's going to be one league, not two. Um, but there's going to be a lot that needs to be done this summer to get to that point. Uh, a lot of the major four leagues, excuse me, in uh, North America have sort of uh, the conversation of, expansion overseas has come up and obviously the CWHL does this uh they have the team in Asia Shenzhen excuse me <laughs> I am terrible with pronunciation um okay. they have Nora Ratty they were in the Clarkson Cup final last year yes mm-hmm. sorry I'm drawing a blank <laughs> goodness um that's just a uh, interesting thing. It's sort of the first league that's been able to have an overseas team that uh, works and just works within the league. Um, how big is that for the CWHL that they're one of the leagues that has expanded overseas and been able to make it work? Well, I think it's important that they did it because without the the team in China, they wouldn't really be able to be paying their players. You know, they they signed a really huge, you know, five year partnership together. And, um, you know, that increase, that influx in their budget has helped the league be able to actually pay their players for the first time. So I think that partnership's really important. But I also think going forward, I don't know what the future is going to hold for that partnership because having a team in China has a lot of complications. Um, one of the things with that team is, is, you know, these players in the CWHL, they work full time. And so when teams go over to China, they're there for, 10, 12 days. And so a lot of the teams that go over to China end up going, you know, with half their roster not there because they can't take 12 days off of their job because they don't, they won't be able to, you know, have enough money to, to live. You can't, you know, when you work full time and you're dependent on one single salary while also juggling professional hockey, you know, taking 12 days off to go, to go play in China isn't, isn't an easy feat. Um, I know the Toronto Furies were extremely shorthanded in China, and those were really big playoff implication games. You know, the Furies still made the playoffs, but I think they went one and two that weekend with half their roster still in Canada. So I think there's a lot of complications with that China trip. And, and you know, last year you saw a number of the, team, the players from that team leave because you know, it's, it's hard, you know, you're picking these players up and moving them to China where they don't really, 
it's a completely foreign country for, for most of them. Um, and they don't really have anyone there other than their team. And, and there were some issues with the rink, you know, you're, you're teaching some of these women how to play hockey for the first time. So I know some of the women quit because it was just too, too much for them to handle. So I don't know what the future is going to hold for, for the team in China. I think it's great that they did it. I think it, like I said, helped them pay their players for the first time and it, and it really helps the league, but I don't know what's going to happen at the end of that partnership. I really don't know. That's a big question mark still. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that story develops. Uh, kind of two last questions we have for you. One I have is about um, kind of a big story in the summer that that got traction, but I felt like didn't get as much attention as I think it deserved, which was uh, Haley Wickenheiser and her joining the Leafs as a skills mm-hmm. development coach. Um, when you saw that announcement, what was your uh, kind of your reaction to when you saw that this uh, this partnership? Oh, I think it's great, and I think it just shows, you know, that new age way of thinking that Kyle Dubes has brought into the organization. Um, You know, for anyone who was on social media or wherever they were talking about why would they hire her, what's a woman going to bring, Haley Wickenheiser is one of the greatest players to ever play the game, and and, you know, she's going to bring or she is bringing a completely different, you know, viewpoint um, of the game of hockey to the Leafs organization. And it might not be something people thought they needed, but, you know, this is something that Kyle says a lot is the more diverse your organization is and the more, you know, the different strains of thought that you're bringing in, the better you're going to be. So, um, you know, they didn't just hire some random woman. They hired Haley Wickenheiser. She's one of the reasons I was interested in hockey as a kid. I read a book about her and was like, ooh, cool. We have the same name. Like, she's really good at sports. I think I like her a lot. And, and you know, she was the first hockey player that I ever latched on to. And, and that's just an aside. But, you know, her accomplishments speak for themselves. She's, you know, one of the most respected, one of the... Well, she is one of the most colorful Canadian Olympians ever alongside Jaina Hefford and Carolyn Ouellette. So I think that's a huge hire for, for the organization and, and just covering the Marlies. I've seen her out on the ice with the team numerous times, um, you know, helping develop players. And I don't know, I think if there's people who think that Haley Wickenheiser can't bring anything to the table, they clearly haven't been paying attention. You uh, said, talked about Haley Wickenheiser being one of, if not the greatest women's hockey player of all time. If you had a Mount Rushmore for women's hockey, who would be on it? Oh, geez. <laughs> um, so how many do I get? Four? Yeah. <laughs> we could do honorable mention if you want. Because I, I had trouble with this. I tried to put it together because I was like, I don't have anything. Well, awesome. Why don't you give yours first to give uh, Haley a chance? To well, okay, first. fair enough. Um, this is a tough one. Because I, I sort of, because we went from, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. I've, obviously the Nagano team and going forward with women's hockey in the Olympics, I've sort of seen like the most recent teams. So Marie Philippe Poulin was somebody that was on mine, but then going back and well, looking. Well, she'd be on mine. Of like recent, she has to be. She has, oh, she has absolutely. To be. 
but then I also kind of I jump back and forth. So the ones I put down for mine, and this is like Marie Philippe Poulin is one of them. I had five because I couldn't choose four. So I'm really breaking my own rules here. Um, Angela James I put on there because mm-hmm. uh, just an incredible pioneer for the sport. Haley Wickenheiser's on there. She's the face of Canadian hockey for women's hockey for over a decade. Even longer. Yeah, even longer. I'm, I'm shortchanging her. <laughs> Two decades, thank you. Yes. Um, Cassie Campbell I had on there. Um, and Jaina Hafford was the other person I had on there with Marie-Philippe Poulin as the fifth. Are you five? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I think that's a really hard... Yeah. Really hard question because, I mean... You can look at it from a number of different ways on, you know, based on the legacy, based on scoring, based on just who you like more. Because, I mean, Cassie Campbell Passel, and I was talking to her, you know, about something like this the other day. And I said to her, like, you're in the conversation of the greatest of all time. She's like, no, I'm not. Anyone who says that is wrong. <laughs> that <laughs> so, sounds like Cassie. Oh. Uh, Cassie Campbell is amazing. But she's like, I'm just like, she's like, I was a, you know, because she, she switched positions and she's like, Anyone who's really good at their really really good at their position would never get asked to change positions. So I am not one of the best because <laughs> I switched positions when I was playing. I don't know how I feel um, about that. But I think no, I think Cassie Campbell, her legacy and just yeah. the voice that she is for women's hockey, she is she's left a, a great footprint on the game. But I don't know for me, like I, I uh, Jen Slaughterell's great. I think Angela yep. Ruggiero's great. Um, oh. <laughs> we oh, might need a couple of mounds of Rushmore for Haley. Was it was it Angela Ruggiero? I'm trying to remember. It was Haley and Wickenheiser and another female player were the first two to be in an NHL game. I don't remember. I don't know if anybody would remember. That was like NHL, like one of the early. Well, Haley Wickenheiser was the first woman to ever be invited to an NHL like rookie camp so she was invited to Philadelphia Flyers like rookie training camp when in like 1999 after the first Olympics um I'm pretty sure Jen Botterill was invited but she said no um or maybe it was Tammy Granato Tammy Granato was invited but she said no because she did some broadcasting work instead yeah but I, I mean Wickenheiser um, also was able to play overseas too, which is crazy. Playing Finnish, I believe Finnish hockey. I yeah, what Wick league played was in. in Division Two in Finland, yeah. and she was the first, the only woman to, or the first uh, woman, or the only woman to score a goal um, in men's professional hockey. Yeah, just that so small Wick little thing. Definitely, she's on my Mount Rushmore. She, yeah. you know, her accomplishments speak for itself, and and she holds like a little personal piece of my heart, you know, getting me interested in the game. But, I mean, if I could give, like, my Mount Rushmore, I'd say Wick, um, Poulin's on there 100%. Um, you know, she's been on in the game now for 12, 12 years, and, and she's won at every level except for the NCAA, and she has five, you know, goals and three gold medal finals. Nobody else in in the men's or women's game has done that. She hands down won two Olympic gold medal games for Team Canada. So she's on that Mount Rushmore for me. Um, I think Cami Granado's on there. Um, you know, the first captain of of Team USA in '98 when they won. I just realized I went full Canada. 
That's not showing any bias there. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Well, I think Angela James left a really great legacy as well. Um, So we can put Angela James on there. So that's three. Oh, no, that's four. Oh. I went five, (laughs) so it's just as many as... (laughs) Oh, man. I yeah. threw the rules out the window. I guess that's my four. Okay. My four. Wick, Pooh, Cammy, and Angela. Well, it's an impressive... You know, it's it's a good thing when you're having a tar- tough time only picking five, even yeah. though it's... Four. Yeah. So I think, I think that's the important part of the women's game kind of moving forward and that you have these women who have led, left such a great legacy. Uh, so it's great, and hopefully uh, people do go out tomorrow night because um, it's going to be a great event. I mean, puck, puck talks is always a great event, but something that's just focused on women's hockey, I think people can get a lot out of it, especially those who don't follow it as close as I think uh, it should be followed. So uh, it's tomorrow at seven. Uh, I think doors open at six thirty. It's at the Rivoli, which. Yep. It, so it's really it's a great venue for these sort of things. So yeah, that's, uh, uh, it's a lot of fun. And then you should all bug Haley afterwards when the show is done. Don't and just, bug Haley. Just go off and that's ask. That's fine. You can come and bother me. But we'll, we'll try to come bother you if we uh, if we can make it out. So definitely, uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, you're our only our third guest to ever come on the podcast. Uh, we've had Chris Johnson and Keegan Matheson. So. You're our first CJ. Tough shoes to fill. Oh, CJ, we we've bothered CJ way too often. Yeah, but we I've I've wanted to have you on for a while, and I figured this was the perfect time. And uh, I really was really glad that you were able to give us the time to do this. And we're gonna bug you again. I already said we're bugging you again. So, <laughs> right. we'll sounds have, good. We'll have to have you in our in our studio, definitely. Yeah, next time for sure. All next right. time I'm not cooped up trying to finish a story. Yeah, good luck with that. Good Another, luck with that. Oh yeah, thank you. My deadline is looming, so I gotta. I'll get we're back not, to we're writing not now. Pushing you too far towards the deadline, are we? No, it's all right. All right, all right. We'll let you get to that. Thank you for your time, and uh, make sure you guys all follow her work at the Athletic. Um, what is your? Because I, I, I always just say follow her on Twitter, but. What exactly is your Twitter handle? So I make sure I don't mess that up because I usually do. You know, I got asked this in an interview before and I gave the wrong Twitter handle because I don't know my Twitter <laughs> handle. Um, it's Haley underscore Salvian. So H-A-I-L-E-Y underscore S-A-L-V-I-A-N. Super oh. simple. Don't yeah. know how I forgot that. I will. Yeah, that's how you can follow <laughs> I, I've me. got an underscore in mind too. It's, those will get you. Yeah. So I, I, I'll make sure to put that when we uh, put the podcast out. I'll, I'll link to the Rivoli event. So uh, it should be a good time. Thank you, Haley, for your time. And we will catch you next time. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'm talking to you.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.